Hello and welcome. I'm Trumpet Man and you're listening to the 40 Card College Podcast, a podcast about advancing your limited game, whether you're a first-time drafter or trophy master. So today on the podcast, we're going to be having a main topic where I actually go back in time and dive into my first drafts of Dominar United. And I think it's going to be interesting looking back through and seeing what I have drafted the set exactly the same way today, now that we're on the tail end of the format, or if things would have ended up the same. So it's sometimes fun to go back in time, check that out, and see how your card evaluations have evolved and the types of decks that you might draft um, in the past versus the present based on the information that you've gained. That's going to be our main topic. First, we're going to go through our rundown of what happened on 40 Card College this week. So there was a Eldraine draft video that's posted. Eldraine is the flashback format right now on MTG Arena, though uh, it actually, I think, just ended around the time of this podcast. So if you want to live in the Eldraine times and see another Eldraine draft, check out that draft video. On the main courses starting this week, our first thing was having a game plan. So we talked about the importance of having game plan, how to kind of develop a game plan while drafting and having a game plan in the games themselves, how to actually play out those games. So check that out if you want a refresher on that idea. For the developing article, I talked about hedging your bets, uh, when to do that, and then also when to double down on the cards you've taken and really invest and go deeper into color. And obviously those are conflicting ideas. So sometimes you want to do one, Sometimes you want to do the other, and when is that going to be right? So definitely check that out. And also, I, I introduced this idea, a way to frame card values in just a slightly different way, where we have wins above replacement. So I go into what that means in terms of magic, magic cards, how it relates to data. So this was kind of a cool article to write because I got to match a lot of theory to some actual numbers and how it applies to formats right now and how you could apply it in the future. So check out that one. And then the final article I wrote for the week was the advanced article. And this one is all about the wheel. So understanding what is the wheel, how to take advantage of cards wheeling when they come back ninth through 14th pick, what can you expect to, what cards can you expect to come back, which cards might wheel and you didn't expect them to come back. So uh, understanding the wheel from all those different perspectives uh, and gaining insights out of that is a definitely a skill we often overlook in something that is really important if you want to take your game to the next level. So those are all the things we saw on the website this week. So definitely just kind of check all that out, whatever sounds interesting to you. Uh, hopefully those resources are helpful for you on the website. Um, again, you can find that at 40cardcollege.com. Okay, our next uh, section diving right in is the question of the week. So this section is from our patrons uh, and they can submit questions and I get to answer them right here on the podcast. So we have a great question this week from the community. So uh, Menderbug asked us, what's the optimal strategy for drafting domain? I find I can't quite thread the needle and figuring out when to take lands versus payoffs. Do you usually do four, three or four or five color? And how many duels at various points in the draft are you looking for? So I think this is a great question because it's super nuanced and uh, it's really hard sometimes to figure out 
should you be in domain? You know, are you on the three color, three color splash, four color, all the way to five color? And it really depends. And so depends kind of how many lands you're seeing when you're seeing them and then the payoffs themselves. So when I'm drafting domain in Dominar United, I'm often taking powerful cards early over lands because it kind of guarantees that at least I'm going to get to play those powerful cards, um, or at least some of them. So if I take a bunch of powerful cards in different colors, then I'm going to try to take lands so that I can play all of them. But sometimes what happens is you hope that you can be in domain and you have a bunch of good payoffs, but the lands, you start to realize around like picks four, five, six, like you're just not seeing lands. And so what you can do in those spots is actually figure out, okay, I have like, you know, a powerful card in each color, let's say, which of those kind of work the best together so that you can start to hone your focus into two or, you know, three different colors that kind of work well together. Sometimes the powerful cards you took are going to be multicolored anyways. So you kind of want to see like, if I have a Terra Sunder, which is the green-black removal spell, then... I basically have to be playing green and black for that card to even make my deck. So when you're considering it in terms of going down to like narrowing your focus to maybe two or three colors, is green black looking open or is that something that you don't have to worry about as much and you can focus on the other cards you've drafted? So the first thing I guess is you kind of want to see like, is domain even looking open? Because it's not really the type of deck that you can just make, make happen. You can't force it because it really relies on a bunch of those lands being drafted. And it's difficult to have domain, like a good domain deck when it's not particularly open in your seat, because domain decks require you to uh, use up more of your draft picks overall in your final deck. And the reason is, of course, because of the dual lands. A good domain deck, I would say, like the best domain decks, usually have around like eight duels. So if you just do the math on that, that means 31 of your picks are going to end up in your final deck, right? Because if you have eight duels and 23 spells, then that's 31. Whereas a normal limited deck, if you only if you have no duels, let's say, then you're just playing 23 uh, spells and 17 lands. Um, so you can sort of see there that for domain to work out for like the best versions, it actually has to be even more open because you need to utilize more of your picks to be in that lane. The good news is is that uh, that sounds difficult, but remember that when domain is open and you're playing all five colors, you get to play more of your picks because you're just going to get to play whatever is opened. So if you're playing all five colors and you're getting all those duels, you're not going to waste picks. Normally it's harder to get like powerful cards that you're going to play for your 23 playables, because sometimes you have to pivot, stay open. You're not going to play maybe your early picks if it gets cut. But in domain, if it's open and your first pick's red, your second pick's green, your third pick's blue, you just throw all of those into the same deck. Like the fact that you need more picks to be able to make your deck work is totally fine. And so that works out. But then the tricky part, I guess, to this question is how to know when you do three color or four color or five color. And I would say that three-color decks, when I do draft like a three-color deck, it tends to more be like two-color and a splash, or maybe like three cards of a color, because usually those are the times where domain wasn't 
really open, but I still want to play like three color or less with some domain payoff. So those might be the decks where like two colors happen to be way more open than others. So like, let's say you, you draft like a green black uh, deck with a, with some good domain cards. Like you have some sunbathing root wallas. Maybe you're, maybe you're like more on the green black aggressive side, which is definitely a deck you could draft. You might splash like blue or red as your third color and then just try to get some duels and you might even branch out a little bit just to up your domain count if you can get a couple other duels, especially if you have like Pluriferous Bind Walls or way to, ways to find those off-color lands. Usually when you do that, you're doing it to be able to play a card or two. So I find that three-color domain decks are sort of the exception. Generally, I, I think the most common is four-color domain. And, and the reason I say that is... The lands are available enough that you get them, but um, to go true five color, you have to really like stretch your mana base, and you have to have reasons to do it. Whereas, like when you're four color, your Myria's Outrider is great when you're four color, and is better when you're five color, but it's not that huge of a difference. Whereas when you're five color, you're really looking for like the payoffs, like you know Nile, for example, the the two four flyer that. When you hit them for domain, you get to look at that mini. And if you have all five basic land types, you get to draw that card instead of put it on top. That change where you now are up cards rather than just putting something on top, it's so much better in a five-color deck that you want to kind of push your mana base to be able to get that all, all five colors when you play that card if you're already at four. But when you have a five-color deck, I find oftentimes it's because I have really powerful cards, so you're willing to stretch your mana base and play cards like salvage mana worker just to make your mana work because you're losing on some power by playing bad rate cards like salvage mana worker understanding that yeah you have to invest a card in that to not do very much but the power you gain because your mana works out is way way higher so that's kind of i think the difference between the four and the five color builds is like is there a reason to go five color the other reason you might want to go five color rather than four color domain is uh, if you just have enough of the good cards that say domain on them. So like if for some reason, like I was able to pick up a couple Neshoba Brawlers and then like a couple Myria's Outriders and then a few other like domain payoffs. At that point, it's nice to be able to have access to all five land types. Another one would be Yavimaya Sojourners, the four six that... Uh, cost one less for each domain you have like the more of that i have like the more i'm interested in pushing all the way to five colors but again uh you're gonna see all those cards when domain actually is more open and so naturally during those times when it's more open you're going to be able to also draft more of the duels which pushes you more to five colors whereas like when you're three colors it's sort of more like three colors in a splash so you're more like four or more on the four color end where you're your main the two but you're maybe splashing the other two so I, I tend to think of domain more on those routes where it's like when it's a little bit more cut you're those base two colors and trying to get away with some splashes and payoffs so that's like one type of domain deck and then you have the other domain deck where uh, everything is open and so then you just like hey let's just it's party time i'm taking all the lands i'm taking all the spells but I think, I think the easiest thing to take away from this is that in Dominar United, 
uh, you really want to start with the payoffs and then you get the lands later. Because if the lands aren't there, it doesn't matter that you got the payoffs. You you need to narrow your focus and go to a more traditional like two-color, two-color plus a splash deck. Other formats are different, right? If I draft cube, I'm usually not drafting the payoffs first unless like the card's super powerful. I'm usually drafting lands way higher because then I can draft the best like synergistic cards that are going to work together across colors. The lands actually give me way more flexibility because all the cards are so powerful. In a normal limited format here like Dominar United, taking lands super early, when you do that, you miss out on the powerful cards. So basically you have a bunch of lands to splash not very good stuff. And so you you want to be careful about actually taking the lands too highly. Hopefully that answers your question. Great question of the week. Keep on sending those in, and I love talking about them here on the podcast. All right, before we get to our main topic, just a quick moment here for me to just mention the Patreon. So patreon.com slash 40cardcollege is where you can go to check out everything there in terms of like the different tiers. Uh, I just kind of want to say that everything at 40 card college i want all the information including like this podcast the articles i always want that to be free to you because the whole reason i've created all these different resources is to build a community of learners people who are interested at getting better at limited magic and just being on that journey with you and trying to give you as much actionable advice as possible So really, I try to make sure that I'm not paywalling anything, and there's tons of free ways to help this podcast. So if you want to help out the podcast and 40 Card College overall, there is the Patreon. You do get some special perks, so you can check it out. But everything, including, you know, the Discord and this podcast and the articles and the videos and the stream and all of that stuff is free to you. So never donate to, uh, you know, the Patreon if you feel like it would impact you financially. But if you want to give something back to kind of keep this going and this project, then I do appreciate it. There are some free ways if you want to help out the the show. Uh, You could tell a friend, just get the word out. You could leave a review on your podcast of choice. Could, you know, follow on Twitch or Twitter just to help kind of amplify uh, where the message is going. Because the more people we have, the bigger the community, the more discussion we have. That's kind of really what it's all about. So, yeah, this is really, you know, it's a listener supported project. I appreciate it. Uh, all the patrons I do have, uh, no new patrons this week, so no shout outs, but I really would love for you, no advertisements, that kind of stuff. I just want this to be about the community and the content. So uh, that's my little word on the Patreon. Okay. And now let's jump in and get to our main topic. So today what I'm going to do, so today we're going to look at the very first two drafts I drafted in Dominaria United, and that way we're going to get to compare what I drafted before to what I think I should draft now in retrospect, and it's going to be kind of a fun little experiment. I want to go from pack one, pick one, all the way to pack two, pick one, and I'm going to talk about kind of the the highlight cards in the pack, and then I'm going to talk about what I picked and what I might pick now, and we can start to see, like, is it the same avenues and all that kind of stuff. So let's get started. Okay, so here we go. So... Uh, pick one, pack one in our first draft. Here are some of the notable cards that we see. So there's a Contaminated Aquifer. That's the blue-black common dual land. Uh, There is 
an Argivian Cavalier, which is the two and a white for two two in list. And when it enters the battlefield, make a one one white creature token. And then those are basically the notable commons that we might first pick. At unco- our uncommons are Relic of Legends, which is uh, the three colorless mana to tap and add a mana of any color, and you can uh, tap and untap a legendary creature you control to add one mana of any color. So far, I'm on the Argivian Cavalier. I think it's better than taking a dual land, pick one, pack one. It's um, one of the better white commons, and Relic of Legends doesn't change that. So, so far, I'm on Argivian Cavalier. Um, then there's Queen All-in-All of Ruidoc. Uh It's the green, white, white for Star Star. It's power and toughness each equal to the number of creatures you control. And if one or more token tokens would be created under your control... Those tokens plus a 1-1 white soldier creature token are created instead. So that's in the pack. Still not better than our Gibeon Cavalier. And it's multicolored, so it kind of gets knocked a little bit. Um, Pick one, pack one. Though, I will note, this set uh, is more friendly to obviously picking multicolored cards early. Unfortunately, a lot of them just aren't that good. So (laughs) you often don't want to take multicolored cards, pick one, pack one anyways. Because oftentimes... uh, the best cards are single colored. Cleaving Skyrider is our last uncommon. It's two and a white for the flash with kicker two and a red. It's a two two flyer. And when Cleaving Skyrider enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, it deals X damage to any target where X is the number of attacking creatures. This card's pretty good. Uh, it's a lot better than I thought it was at the beginning of the format. And I already thought it was pretty good. Um, I like that you can just kind of hold it. And if the game is close, it can help you win races either by you attacking wide and using it to just dome your opponent or waiting for them to attack with like, you know, six creatures, casting it when they attack you, and it can actually just like go straight to the opponent's face because it also can work on your opponent's attacks, which is really good. Um, But then it's also flexible, of course, to be creature removal. So I think Cleaving Skyrider is definitely better than our Giving Cavalier, even though to maximize it, you do need to be two colors. Worst case scenario, it's also a 2-2 flash uh, for 3, which is pretty good. Uh, but I opened up one of the best cards in the set that I took, um, and I still would take. It's Sphinx of the Clear Skies. 3 blue-blue for the 5-5 five, five Flying Ward 2. And when it domains, you get to kind of do the factor fiction thing when it hits based on the number of domain you have. So that was the very first rare I ever opened at the set. Must be nice. Um, I haven't opened it since. And that card is complete and absurd bomb, so we took it here. So start with a Sphinx of Clear Skies. Pick two. We have the options of Geothermal Bog. That's the Black Red Tapland. Urborg Repossession. So that's the Raised Dead, and you can kick it to get another thing back. There's Flowstone Infusion, which is the single red for instant target creature gets plus two, minus two until in a turn. There's Extinguish the Light, which is the... 2BB removal spell, instant destroy target creature or planeswalker. If its mana value is 3 or less, you gain 3 life. And then there is, at the uncommon spot, the only notable card is Wrath Weatherlight Stalwart, which is the 1-3 for white and blue. And when you cast an instant or a sorcery spell, you may tap to untap creatures you, if, uh, you control if you do draw a card. And it has 3 white-white to give your team plus 1, plus 1, and vigilance until end of turn. The rare is Vidalian Hexcatcher, which is the Merfolk Lord and is really bad. Really, the pick comes down to Extinguish the Light or Wrath Weatherlight Stalwart. And I think this pick's actually really interesting. 
So Sphinx of Clear Skies, you kind of want to just be able to get to that point in the game. So Extinguish the Light is a way to kind of buy time until you can cast your Sphinx. Also, if you do hit with your Sphinx, then oftentimes you're looking for like ways to interact and make sure you keep winning. So Extinguish works really well with Sphinx of Clear Skies. On the other hand, Wrath is just like single-handedly powerful. It's a card draw engine all on its own. It's a 1-3 body that comes down early. You can pump your team. So I think Wrath Weatherlight Stalwart's just like a better card overall than Extinguished Light. But I think they're close in power level. And Wrath is two-colored, where Extinguished Light is only one. And I think Extinguished works better with Sphinx of Clear Skies. So I would take Extinguished Light here, and that's actually what I did in my first draft as well. So, so far we have Extinguished Light and Sphinx of Clear Skies. So pick three, we can decide between Molten Tributary, the Blu-ray Duel, Yavamaya Sojourners, the 4-6 Domain makes cheaper, the Friction Espionage, which is the Divination with Kicker to make them discard, uh, Bone Splinters, which is the uh, Sack Creature, Destroy Target Creature. Um, so I think it's really between like Friction Espionage and Hedging on a Dual Land. So between Friction Espionage and Molten Tributary, um, I think because we just want to find our Sphinx of Clear Skies and sort of make the game go long, I actually like Phyrexian Espionage a little better. Like, you just want to draw cards, make sure you hit your land drops, get your Extinguished Light online. So I actually would go with Phyrexian Espionage here. In the draft I did before, I took the Molten Tributary Blue-Red Land. So slight difference there. Okay, so pick four. Cards of Note, Radiant Grove, the Green-White Tap Land. Urborg Repossession, another one. There's a Shield Wall Sentinel in the pack in case we want to go with the uh, Defender sub-theme. There's a Gitu Amplifier and a Benelish Sleeper, I guess. Um, that's the 3-1 in white. And then lastly, the Uncommon of Note is Choking Miasma, which is the minus 2, minus 2, and if you pay it a green, you can give a creature you control a plus 1, plus 1 counter. So if I'm looking at this pack... Um, Choking Miasma could be a card we could take, again, to try to, like, prolong the game, but it doesn't do a ton for us. And then the only other cards that, like, we're considering in our colors, um, if we only had blue-black cards, probably would be just the Shield Wall Sentinel and the Urborg Repossession, so I'd be considering those. Between those, Shield Wall Sentinel, you want to make sure you have the defenders to actually, like, work with it. So it's fine to hedge by taking Shield Wall Sentinel, but I think this early it would be a mistake. And as we've gone through the format, we kind of understand just how powerful Urborg Repossession actually is. The better the card is that you can return, the better Urborg Repossession is. So in this case, we already have Sphinx of the Clear Skies. So to me, it seems like that would be kind of a no-brainer pick. So I would definitely take Urborg Repossession here. Following up on the Molten Tributary pick that I did originally, I actually took Gitu Amplifier, which I definitely would not do now. But uh, maybe I was thinking, oh, this blue-red avenue maybe is open. So it's already interesting. We're starting to diverge. Um, if I was drafting this seat now, I would be solidly in blue-black control. But as it stood, what I actually drafted was kind of this blue-red-black hodgepodge of cards so far. Pick five. Our options are Extinguish the Light, number two, and then Essence Scatter. And that's about it. And I think that's kind of interesting because when I first looked at this uh, pack, 
uh, when I was drafting the set, I wouldn't have even considered Essence Scatter. But we've seen how powerful Essence Scatter is in this format. And so it's definitely more in consideration. And Extinguish the Light 5th pick, I think, is maybe a bigger signal just in, in the sense that it's kind of like this removal spell. It's a lot more loud. Like, people see Extinguish the Light. They're like, wow. So maybe it's more of a sign that Black's open. But... Uh, if I was drafting this now, I'd have three blue cards already and only to extinguish the light. So I think I would just kind of make sure I could play Sphinx of Clear Skies, and I think I would take the Essence Scatter over the second Extinguish because it opens up a lot more lanes. If I take an Essence Scatter here and I have a bunch of blue cards, if black is not open after that, it's not really a huge deal. Like I could go into blue-red, I could go into blue-white, and I'd probably have a pretty decent deck. By taking Extinguish the Light, kind of planting my flag that I want to be in black, but it makes it harder to maybe play the Sphinx of Clear Skies down the road. And of those two options, like between being able to play a Sphinx of Clear Skies or being able to have some Extinguish Lights, like obviously I want to play my stupid Mythic Rare. So I would actually change my pick. Originally I took Extinguish the Light, but here I would take Essence Scatter actually. So going into pick six, we have... Uh, contaminated in Aquaforce or an on-color dual land we could take. And then our other options would be uh, Gibbering Barricade, the 2-4 wall for 2 and a black. That can sack a creature and you gain life and draw a card. Or I guess maybe Joda's Codex, which is the 5-mana artifact with Domain 5 to tap draw a card. It costs one less for each basic land type among lands you control. Um, we're not really anywhere that close to Domain, so I don't think the Joda's Codex is a reasonable pick here, even though um, it's probably the most powerful card of those options. So then we have to think about, do we want a Jibbering Barricade or a Contaminated Aquifer? The fact that um, we have, you know, these Extinguish the Lights, it makes sense that I picked Contaminated Aquifer because it perfectly casts double black and double blue and helps us get towards that. Um, so that really makes sense from that perspective. I think if we were deeper in blue... It's still probably the pick because it lets us maybe cast the Extinguish we did pick. And I think it's stronger enough than Jimming Barricade in blue-black. Whereas like you really want like tokens and things to sacrifice to the Barricade. So maybe for more white-black, it would be a higher pick there. So I think regardless of our path, we take Contaminated Aquifer and add it to our pile. Pick seven, our options are... Automatic Librarian, which is the 3-mana three 3-2 three that you scry to when it comes in play. Or Pilfer, which is one in black, target opponent reveals their hand, and you choose a card, and they non-land card, and they discard it. So I think regardless, Pilfer is just the strongest card here for us. It fits in blue-black perfectly, and so we would just take that in either reality that we're in right now. Pick 8. Our options are kind of interesting. Nothing really off-color that we're too interested in, but our options are Tide Pool Turtle, which is the 3 and a blue 2-5, with 2 and a blue Scry 1, or Phyrexian Warhorse, which is the 3 and a black 3-3, three, three, with Kicker White. So I took the Tide Pool Turtle originally, thinking, yeah, I kind of want to block. But the upside on the Warhorse is really high. Like, if we are able to be more in... Like, if I happen to be more black-white and playing some blue cards, then... The Warhorse is really good. And I think Tidepool Turtle just turned out to not be that good of a card. Whereas when you're looking at things first and trying it out, like maybe you want this blocking body for this very defensive deck. 
but I think part of the reason is Tidepool Turtle just ended up not being that good because of the cost-reducing cycle. So when you have a bunch of 5-5s five just running around in the format naturally, your 2-5 just gets a lot worse. So I think it's mostly a card you don't want to play, whereas I would just hedge on the Friction Warhorse and hope to get there. So that's probably what I would take in that case. Rounding out the rest of the pack, not much wield. We took a Salvaged Mana Worker, pick 9. Um, the Geothermal Bog came back, pick 10, and there's also the Gibbering Barricade. So what's interesting here is we took a Gitu Amplifier when I actually drafted this deck. So I could take the Geothermal Bog to be able to play that card. Um, whereas so far, when we've looked at this deck again, this draft, we've only had blue and black cards. So I think we put ourselves in a better position to be able to just take the, the Gibbering Barricade regardless. And I think even in the road that we would have taken originally. I think you still just want the Gibbering Barricade. There's not really a reason to be in red at this point, and I think the blue-black control deck looks really good. We have powerful late game, powerful removal, access to powerful card draw with the uh, Fraction Espionage we wanted to take when we redrafted right now. So I think we would take the Gibbering Barricade, even though originally I took the Geothermal Bog, the Black-Red Duel. And then rounding out the pack, we get a Yavamaya Sojourner. If we happen to get some green mana and want to go domain, that's an option. We took a Yosha Declares War randomly over a Shield Wall Sentinel, so that's probably a mistake, especially if we had a Jibbling Barricade. So we could have a wall something we could start to get, so I would go that route. And the last two picks uh, give us a Salvage Mana Worker. What we ended up originally was three dual lands, one of which was blue-black, the Sphinx of Clear Skies, Double Extinguish the Light, a Pilfer, and a Tidepool Turtle as like cards we were playing. So a lot of lands, not too many spells, kind of looking to fill in the holes a lot. But on the redraft, what we would have ended up with instead was just the blue-black land, and we would have had the Gibbering Barricade in addition, we would have had one Extinguish the Light, but an Essence Scatter instead of it. We would have had the Frexian Espionage, and we would have a Shield Wall Sentinel to hedge, as well as the Frexian Warhorse, which maybe we could splash some white mana for, uh, potentially down the road. So if we think about that, I think on the redraft, we're still like blue-black either way, but we positioned ourselves much, much better, and we also added extra flexibility. We're very light into black, and deep in blue. So if we open up some bomb in the next pack and want to move into it, then we could do that. Just out of interest, um, pack two, pick one, there was no bomb. It was a Plaza of Heroes. Um, and we ended up taking a Talus Lookout out of that pack. And then we ended up in just a blue-black deck, splashed a couple green cards, and just had a million Talus Lookouts and two-for-ones and writhing Necromasses. So kind of a cool first deck uh, that we ended up drafting. Okay, so that was draft number one that we re-looked at there. Draft number two, let's hop on in. This one, the relevant cards that we can look at, uh, there's a green-white duel. There's a destroy evil. There's an Argivian cavalier. And there's a tail swipe. So tail swipe is the fight spell for single green. And then also there's the cleaving skyrider. Um, so if I'm looking at those cards, so far, four options. Destroy Evil, Giving Cavalier, Tail Swipe, and Cleaving Skyrider. If I saw that right now, so it's really between Destroy Evil and Argivian Cavalier. 
I think in the white decks, if I know I'm going to end up like really heavy white, I think sometimes actually Argivian Cavalier is better than Destroy Evil. But if you happen to be like more on the splashy side of white, like Destroy Evil is much, much better. So between those two cards, I like starting Destroy Evil early because it is more flexible. And so I would take that here uh, between those two. Now, the question is, is Destroy Evil better than Cleaving Skyrider? Pick one, pack one. I think it probably is because the Skyrider is pretty, is a lot more narrow. It's okay if you don't end up in red to play a Cleaving Skyrider, but it loses a lot of its power. So I think of the cards I listed, I like Destroy Evil. And we opened up a Maria Scholar of Antiquity as a really bad rare that we want to play. So I'd start Destroy Evil, but this draft, in reality, what I took was Tail Swipe. And Tail Swipe's a good card too, but I actually think Tail Swipe is maybe the worst of those four options. We start with a Destroy Evil, or a Tail Swipe is what I actually took. So pick two, here are the options. We see a Tribute to Urborg, so that card's great. Um, We see a Talarian Terror, so maybe we go down that road. There's... A take up the shield, which kind of goes with the destroy evil if we want to go down a white path. There's lightning strike. And then lastly, there's Tatiova, steward of tides, which is the green, green, blue legend and makes lands fly when you have seven more lands. So I think if we look here, if I started with the destroy evil, really my options are Tatiova if I just want to give up on it or maybe like a lightning strike if I want to pair it with the destroy evil. Um, But I think in these spots, when you have a card like Tatiova, that is just so much better than all the other cards, even though we first picked a white card, I think it's still just worth taking Tatiova. Now, the fact that I started with a tail swipe originally made this pick trivial. And so I just followed uh, tail swipe up with Tatiova and it was great. But even with a destroy evil, I think we would take Tatiova. So we're on the Tatiova train regardless of where we started. And then pick three with our Tatiova. Um, we have the options of Sunbathing Rootwalla. And there's an Aaron Benalia's Ruin if we want to pivot over into White Black. And a Gaia's Might. Those are the best cards touching what we're already seeing here. So if I had a Destroy Evil and a Tatiova... The question, I guess, really is, would I take Sunbathing Rootwalla or Aaron Benalia's Ruin? Because Aaron is a really powerful effect, um, and it could be a really, really good card, especially if green's not open. Um, But you can't play Aaron and Tatiova in the same deck, or at least really not easily. And so if I took Aaron, it would basically be saying, like, if Tatiova is not a path I can go down, then at least I have Aaron plus Destroy Evil. And so now I have a lot of options as I move forward. Like I could be white-black, I could be more like green-blue, I can be domain-based. So taking Aaron really leaves the options open, and there's a lot of power. If I take Sunbathing Rootwalla, it also kind of leaves me flexible, but not really. Because if I have Sunbathing Rootwalla and the Tatiova lane dries up, Sunbathing Rootwalla and Destroy Evil really don't go that well together. Green White is, I think, one of the worst archetypes in the format. So if I were going to take a card based off uh, this alternate reality, I'd actually take Aaron. Because then you have Aaron and Tatiova and Destroy Evil and whatever comes next, you're going to be able to just capitalize on that. Um, what I actually took was uh, Writhing Necromass, 
after Tattoo of Entail Swipe. And I think it's because my first draft in the format, <laughs> Writhing Necromass, was just so good in my deck that I thought this card was insane. And uh, yeah, the card's fine, but it's definitely not worth third picking. Pick number four here. So we have, there's an Urborg Repossession. There's a Molten Tributary, the Blue Red Land. There's a Maria's Outrider, if we think we want to go more on the Domain Road. And then there's also a Gaia's Might. And then also, I guess I should mention a Bone Splinters too, because if we took Aaron, that's pretty relevant. So if we're looking at these, probably the best options would be between like Urborg Repossession and probably Myria's Outrider for want wanting to stay open, because you have the you have the grindy path with like black green versus more like all in domain. I don't think there's a reason to take Molten Tributary because we're not at all in red yet. So between Urborg Repossession and Maria's Outrider, I don't think there's a reason to go to Maria's Outrider yet. Like Urborg Repossession is based on the strength of your best cards um, or the cards that you can get back. So when you have a card like Tatiova, Urborg Repossession gets way, way better. And so I think I would just take that. Um, that's what I took before, and I think I would just take it again. Um, it goes much better with Tatiova than with Aaron. But you can still play it in an Aaron deck. You know, like Black White doesn't care as much about Urborg Repossession because the the creature sizing and the creatures themselves like are less impressive. But you could splash some green mana and just use it as a two for one, and it's totally fine. So right now, the two different paths we have: the original path was Tail Swipe, Tatiova, Writhing Necromass, and Urborg Repossession, and the alternate path was Destroy Evil, Tatiova. Aaron into Urberg repossession. So either way, it's like we have a decent amount of options moving forward. So pick five, what do we have? Well, there is a Sacred Peaks, but we're not going to take that because we're not in red-white um, or touching red still. There's a Yavamaya Sojourners, if we think we're going domain, um, but I don't think that's the case. There's a Magnagoss Sentry, if we want more of that defensive speed, the 4-4 reach for four. Or an Argivian Cavalier, if we think white is going to be open um, because we did take some early white cards to try and hedge. So if I'm looking at like my green black shell that I originally had, I think there I would just take a Magnagoss entry because it, it kind of, the green black wants to be a little more defensive and Magnagoss entry is a kind of key piece to that deck. And that is what I took. But I think if I was staying flexible and open, I probably would take Argivian Cavalier because if white ends up open, our giving Cavalier is so core to white-black, getting that extra body, allowing you to sacrifice it to Aaron when you're not just curving out with Aaron and attacking with 3-3 three, three Menace. It's just really, really powerful. And attacking as a 3-2, you're able to punch through a lot of blocking creatures with the Argiving Cavalier. So it just kind of does everything. So again, I would take Magnagoth Sentry on the original road for more in this like black green control shell and i'd keep hedging with the argivian cavalier if i was actually drafting this in my seat today the next pack there really is not much to note there's an urborg repossession that we could take and then the only white card is mesa cavalier and there's also like a singer connoisseur which is the free three flyer which really has not been a good card i think here i just take another urborg repossession Though, originally I was testing out cards, so I took the Sanger Connoisseur. That's fine. I wouldn't do that today. So we got another Urborg Repossession. And then our next pick, it's kind of interesting. There's a Bog Badger. 
um, which we could take if we want to go down that green black road. There's an essence scatter. Uh, if we think maybe we could be more blue for Tatioba and be more green blue, or there's an Argivian phalanx. Um, if we think white is more open. So I think this is kind of interesting. Originally I took a bog badger cause I was just base green. I don't hate that pick, but I think if I were going to draft this right now, I probably would speculate. Like if I had the cards, which I'm seeing right now, which was a tail swipe an herborg repossession, a Tatiova, Magnagoth Sentry, Sanger Connoisseur and Writhing Necromask. If those were the cards that I drafted, I would actually still take Essence Scatter. It leaves you more open. Um, and if blue opens up and you're more green base, base green blue, then Essence Scatter is just going to be way, way, way more powerful than whatever Bog Badger brings to your deck. However, again, if we were hedging white, I think our Gibeon Phalanx is the way to go. We haven't really seen that much blue. So I, I think our Gibeon Phalanx is strong enough where we have been seeing some good white. I would take it there and try to keep going down that, that path because I don't think Tatiova is like super open right now. I think the green cards haven't been that good. And so I think our we're kind of shaping up to be in a nice white-black deck in this alternate reality. Here's where it really coalesces. So uh, pick eight. There's a Contaminated Aquifer, which would be, I think, good for either deck as either a way to play green-black and splash Tatiova, or a way to kind of hedge um, and add some flexibility in the other deck. But we also see in this pack Benelish Sleeper, which is the 3-1, and you can kick it, um, make both players sacrifice a creature. Or there's another Argivian Cavalier. So if we saw this pack, uh, we would just be pumping the fist right now if we were heading towards white-black. And so really, it's between Benelish Sleeper and Argivian Cavalier, and I'm not sure... like. Cavalier is like much stronger, but I think also the two drops in white black tend to be pretty bad, except the premium on commons, and we don't really have any of those. And we already have a couple three drops, like we already have an Argiven Cavalier and an Aeron. So I kind of want to like take Argiven Cavalier because I think it's a stronger card, but I think actually the pick might be Benelish Sleeper um, because you're going to gain more from having that three one on two, and then also it can be a three drop when you want it. Like it's really key to the white black decks. So originally we took Contaminated Aquifer, it makes sense, it supports everything we had, but in our alternate reality we take Benelish Sleeper, and we'd be looking pretty good, I think, with our White Black deck. On the wheel, the only cards of interest are, there's a Salvage Mana Worker, a Shadow Prophecy, a Timely Interference, and a Guy's Might. Right now we're kind of like a three-color deck with no fixing in the original build, so it's really between Salvage Mana Worker and Shadow Prophecy. The only blue card we have at that time is Tatiova, so probably Shadow Prophecies for the best. End up taking Salvage Mana Worker, so I think that's probably a mistake, um, but it's not horrible. Um, in our again, in our alternate reality, probably just take Shadow Prophecy. It's fine in white black, but not the best. But it's a card we can play. Then take up the Shield Wheels and Artillery Blast. So in our more controlling deck, we could take Artillery Blast on the splash, but I think just regardless. There's a Tatiova, you just take Take Up the Shield, regardless of whether we're more controlling. But like getting Take Up the Shield on the wheel means I think this draft, we really should have been white-black, and we totally missed the lane for it when I originally drafted the deck. Then there's the Crystal Grotto, which we would have taken probably no matter what. A Gaia's Might versus a Heroic Charge. I think if we were white, we take Heroic Charge. Gaia's Might for our green deck. 
and then not much else. Uh, so let's just review where we're at. Um, in our original deck, we ended up with a Crystal Grotto and a Contaminated Aquifer for our mana fixing. And then going up the curve, we had an Urborg Repossession, a Gaia's Might, a Tail Swipe, a Salvage Mana Worker, an Artillery Blast, a Bog Badger, a Tatiova, Magnagal Sentry, Sengu Connoisseur, and Writing Necromass. So not a bad pack one. Like, we have some decent removal. We have a plan. We're going to make this Tatiova work. We have ways to rebuy it. And, like, some decent creatures. So not a, not a bad start to a draft by any means. But in our alternate reality version, we would have um, a Crystal Grotto, uh, two Urborg Repossessions, a Take Up the Shield, a Destroy Evil, a Benelish Sleeper, an Argivian Cavalier, an Errand. And so I think that deck is just way, way better heading into pack two. We're mostly white-black, but really we could be... like, And we're mostly white-blacks, probably hopefully splashing some green for the Urborg Repossession. So going to pack two, you'd be looking for maybe some ways to fix for green and then also just bombs in those colors um, versus the original deck, which was really just looking to kind of fill in its, its curve and hopefully maybe get some more removal and color fixing. So this would open us up. Let's see what we opened in pack two. And we opened up, we, ooh, we opened up a Danatha. Now the nice thing about Danatha, I think it's splashable in the green black deck. And Danatha is really good in the white black deck, obviously makes the Urborgu possessions better in both decks. So we pretty much just slammed that and are happy with either deck. So we looked at two drafts there. I think it's interesting because when we look back in time, the first deck, it's like we drafted blue-black, and after analyzing it, I still would have drafted blue-black, but I think it would have been much more streamlined, so we would have had just an even better product. But it's like sometimes the hindsight doesn't actually change the result, right? Like you still look back and you're like, yeah, I still would have done this. But the second draft, it's like there was a few opportunities to actually hedge our bets, and go in slightly different directions, and it opened up an entirely different deck. So that's pretty cool. Looking back, it's like, yeah, I think the original deck I had was um, kind of this green-black deck. It had two Bog Badgers, Magnagoth Sentries. It had the Danatha. It had the Tatiova on the splash. Um, it, it ended up fine. Well, we had two Terra Sunders, so that was pretty good. And the deck actually did pretty perform pretty well, but I think that white-black deck really would have just been like pretty killer. So I think this was a fun exercise. Let me know what you thought about sort of this discussion. I'd love to hear some comments about it. If it was too hard to follow, maybe I could think about ways to improve sort of the discussion or or ways to explain what I saw and and what I would do differently. Um, But yeah, a really fun time. So that's going to bring us to the end of our episode. And uh, everyone just thanks for listening and see you next time on the 40 Card College podcast. 